Mac Power Users, episode 289, the new Apple TV. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. Uh, we got a new Apple TV in the mail about a week ago, and we thought it would be fun to talk about um, what it's all about, what we like and dislike about it, and uh, some power tips for users. So that's what we're about today. If you're on the fence about one, this is a good episode to listen to. And if you've already got one, uh, I think we've got something that may help you uh, play with it nicer as well. So yeah, you want to get right into it? Or I guess we have a couple announcements. Do, no, I don't think we do. No. I think all of our announcements are over. We we had our meetup. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. We're pre-recording this before we go to Milo Fest, so I don't know, but I'm yeah, sure it, it was, was fun. It was, it was great really fun. fun. It's really David fun. Got, David Kate. got crazy drunk and stood up on the tables and started dancing and singing. <laughs> I was at just one about point. to say that about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I figured I better beat you to it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, then, I, and then Katie called the police and got me arrested, which wasn't very uh, nice. But other than that, it was all good. And then I, I did drive Daisy to the police station to bail you out, though. Okay, well, so, there we go. So it know, all worked out. It all worked out, and we'll probably <laughs> never be invited back. So that will be the first, last, and only Mac Power Users meetup ever. That's okay. There's a lot of places that will never have me back. But right. today we're here to talk about Apple TV. And I thought before we got into it in great detail is we'd go back and just do a little bit of history. Um, the Apple TV is kind of, it, it's the first product that Steve Jobs ever called a hobby. <laughs> I didn't know that it, I had it hobbies. Was, it was leg three of the stool, right? Yeah. Kind of a wobbly third leg. It, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it, it kind of was. It was, I think, 2007 or so, or six or seven. I think it might have been... I think it was, it was announced. Same. It was announced the same time the iPhone was announced. Remember, it was yes. that first announcement right before the iPhone. Yeah, exactly. So it was. It's always been uh, the second fiddle product because it was announced the same day as the iPhone. But it came out, and the original one. I bought the original one. Uh, I used it as an additional to an Apple TV. It was called iTV at first, but then there was. Well, a, that was kind of the code name. I mean, oh, that was, was never that was never its shipping name. Yeah, I think there was also a threatened lawsuit and there's all kinds of things going on, but they, they named it Apple TV. It was the first Apple branded product in a lot of ways. And in addition to playing my movies, I could fry eggs on the top of it because the thing got so hot. Yeah. And it was, it was more of a Mac. It was more of a Mac mini. It looked like a Mac mini. Uh, and when you took it apart, I think it had tiger on the inside. Yeah, and I believe serves. it was like two ninety nine. It was fairly expensive, maybe yeah. two forty nine. Basically, the way that that I described the the original Apple TV, it was it was an iPod without a screen, and your TV was the screen for it because this device had, I believe, about forty or sixty gigabytes of onboard storage, and you would sync up to iTunes just like you would an iPod, and then play to from it. Yeah, so you had the hard drive. You can put your movies on the physical hard drive, spinning drive inside the device. And then very, not long after that was a couple of years in 2008. I did look that one up. The original hockey puck uh, Apple TV came out and that one was much smaller. It's a piece of black plastic, which kind of looks like a hockey puck if it was a rounded rectangle. And it was all about streaming. And really what happened was the, the underlying philosophy of Apple TV went from Mac OS to iOS with the release of the hockey puck, it didn't have, I think the onboard storage was eight gigabytes. Well, and they never so. really advertised yeah. that. We only got that because I fixed it, tore it down. Yeah. And I bought one of those 
And that has been, uh, we have certainly got our $99 out of that thing because we've used it up until last week, uh, the 2008 device. And it's, it's been great because it, you know, it's got apps, uh, that, that Apple would approve. It wasn't something where you go download apps, but they did, you know, install like the Netflix and the various streaming services on it. We attach it to the TV. It's got an Apple user interface, which is a lot better than the ones the cable companies and the TV companies can do. And I've been pretty happy with it. Uh, they did have an update to that one. And uh, a few years later that added 1080. And at the time my TV was only 720. So I never bothered with the updated one. And uh, that was kind of the new thought for Apple TV is it's this device that Apple can force apps onto. And it's a great streaming device. And then we got to a few weeks ago where Apple released the 25, you know, fourth iteration of the Apple TV. The 2015 fourth generation Apple TV. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Something like that. There you go. Um, the, uh, be, before we get into the details of the new one, just kind of coming into this, what kind of Apple TV user are you? Well, you know, you think that I would be the prime audience for an Apple TV. I'm a cord cutter. I haven't had cable television or any kind of subscription television service for well over three years now. I do still have cable internet. That's that's how we get high-speed internet into our home. But I've I've not had any kind of cable TV subscription package. And so you would think that I would be a prime candidate for Apple TV. I've, I've tried a Roku. I've tried Fire Stick. Um, and I will tell you of all the set top box, Apple TV has always been my favorite, both because of user interface and because it's the only one that will interface with, with iTunes, which is where I keep most of my content. That being said, um, although I use Apple TV quite a bit, uh, I have three of them now. Primarily I had two of them. I had one in my living room, which is where my primary TV was, and then one in the bedroom. It was still always a secondary device for me. It was still the device that I used for streaming, the device that I used for Netflix, the device that I used for playing iTunes content. Um, it it was it was always the HDMI two device, if that makes sense. Where I yeah. got where I got my primary content um, was from a TiVo. I'm a big TiVo fan, and um, recently upgraded to a TiVo Romeo, and I use that to get I get about ten channels mainly all the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, via an over-the-air antenna. So most of the programming, I would say 80% of the programming that I watch day-to-day comes from an over-the-air antenna that I time shift on the TiVo. And then the other 20% comes from various streaming services. But I would say a lot of that content also, I'm I'm getting a good bit of my content from Amazon as well, because I'm an Amazon Prime member, and that's famously not available on Apple TV unless you choose to airplay from the app. Yeah, we're, um, I would say in, uh, that we're a HDMI one Apple TV family, the, especially with my kids, they watch streaming. That's almost all they watch in terms of TV. Very, very rarely do they watch network TV. My wife's more of a, a news junkie and she'll watch the, she'll switch over the cable box for news stuff. We have the ability to watch a lot of the primary networks on the Apple TV because we're a cable subscriber, which is kind of nutty. You know, you've got to pace one guy to watch it on a different device. Uh, and I know I'm definitely an Apple TV HDMI one person because I watch a lot of streaming stuff when I do watch TV. So even though we have our cable cord, we actually use the Apple TV a lot. And over the years, we've really kind of come to grow on it. My kids, quite often when they have friends over, they used to watch, you know, YouTube stuff on it. And then that stopped working because I have the older one. 
so they're very happy now that that's back. Uh, but the other the other advantage of Apple TV that I think has over the competition in a lot of ways is the ability to uh, to airplay. So with all these iOS devices around the house, it's really nice to be able to stick something on the screen, and that happens frequently at our house. So anyway, coming into this whole thing, uh, Katie is a semi-regular user of the Apple TV. Is that a fair statement? Oh, I would say regular. I mean, I, I use it maybe not quite every day, but definitely several times a week. Yeah, we, we definitely use it every day. So um, so we're, we're, we're both experienced Apple TV users, and now Apple has a new one. Um, uh, once again, we're not going to spend a lot of time going over the, the details because it's well documented. You can go on, on Apple's website and see them. But in general, um, the new Apple TV continues to be a, a great source for your iTunes content and streaming. But they also have the ability to add third, third-party apps that you can pick. And that allows the third-party app market to grow quite a bit. There's a, you know, there's a lot more available for the new TV than there was the old one. Yeah, and this is really where the future of Apple TV. You know, Tim Cook famously said the future of Apple, the future of TV is apps. Well, the future of Apple TV is really apps. I mean, we've seen apps on other devices. We've seen apps have always been on the Roku. You know, the Roku has hundreds, if not thousands, of apps. Many of them aren't particularly good, but you know, they've got them. You know, if you want an app out there to watch ping pong, there's an app on the Roku that you can watch ping pong. And there are people out there who love ping pong and, and that's what they want to do. Um, you know, now if you want to be able to do that on Apple TV, someone can create an app for the ping pong network or, or whatever that, that happens to be. And um, I don't mean that disparagingly. I'm, I'm dead serious. You, you can do those things with, <laughs> with Apple TV. I think you were actually talking about ping pong, right? I am talking about ping pong. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I agree. The, the sport, ping pong. It, it's, it's funny how it used to be that there was like, when I grew up, there was really three networks that worked with any consistency. And the reason we all have this shared knowledge of Gilligan's Island and things like that is because that's all that was on. I mean, I think that one way explains the success of Star Trek um, because it was on all the time. And oh, don't so, give me, we'll talk about Star Trek and streaming at some point later. Okay. But, but the, um, it, it's just, you know, it, it, we had this shared experience and whereas now you can, whatever niche interest you have, there's probably a network for it. And it's really interesting to me. Maybe that's a bigger question than we can deal with in the show, but, but the world is changing. And so Apple TV has come along with us, but not only does it give you the ability to get these streaming channels, there's also apps. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a calculator available for your Apple TV. And uh, while I, I appreciate the moxie, I'm not sure how much I'm going to, you know, balance my checkbook with my TV, but, there's utilities and we're going to talk about some of the ones we've been playing with later in the show, but you know, it's an app platform and it's early days. And I think it's going to, it's going to evolve a lot after the show. Maybe if we come back in a year, we'll see how much it's evolved. Well, but, and I think Apple has a true advantage here. Uh, I mean, look at the, what the Roku platform has done and nobody really knew how, you know, what is Roku? What is this? But yet there are thousands of apps available on the Roku platform. I mean, Apple has the advantage here. Apple has the iOS advantage. Don't get, I fully believe that a year from now, there are going to be more Apple TV apps available, more content available for the Apple TV than any of these other streaming boxes, simply because it has the iOS advantage. And I know technically it's tvOS, but it's the same platform. Yeah. You think there'll be a, an Amazon app? Mm, not so much. Wouldn't hold your breath for that one. I, I yeah. truly hope that there will be. And maybe one day the Civil War will end. But I, I think it's going to take longer than a year. This thing is kind of 
just kind of come into my consciousness. I didn't realize that Apple and Amazon were at loggerheads as much as it seems like they are. I mean, Amazon has a, has its own streaming service and now they're choosing not to put it on the Apple TV. It seems like, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face a bit, but, and like for Katie, that's a big deal because you watch a lot of streaming on Amazon. Yeah. You know, I'm seriously thinking my, my Amazon prime membership is, is paid up, I think through next year. Um, you know, I'm thinking about canceling it. I'm thinking about canceling it and putting those dollars. Right now, I'm an Amazon Prime subscriber, but not a uh, Netflix subscriber. I subscribe to Netflix like a couple of we- months out of the summer and, you know, watch what I want then. And I'm I'm thinking about if this civil war isn't resolved and if Amazon isn't on my Apple TV natively, you know, I may drop my Amazon Prime membership this time next year and instead, you know, put those dollars towards Netflix. You know, talk about civil wars. If I canceled Netflix in my house, my kids would declare war on me, I'm pretty sure. Well, and part of it is just, you know, uh, the t- the time commitment. I mean, I'm, I I just, I, I don't have a ton of time to watch TV. I, I probably watch five hours of TV a week, if that, you know. My kids watch and, so and much Netflix. And by TV, I mean Netflix, YouTube. I, I, I mean content yeah. through the TV. I get to watch so much Netflix. I have a drafts little thing that sends them a text message that says, daddy's about to go on a podcast. Please turn off Netflix. <laughs> Maybe you just need to up your, uh, up your bandwidth. Oh, you don't know these, these, these kids, man, they, they'll, they'll stream it on two different devices. So I don't know, whatever. Anyway, we're getting off target a little bit. So the new one is different. It adds an app store. Uh, we haven't even mentioned that people can play games on them now, which is kind of fun too. You know, like, can you, balance a checkbook you can play a game so we've got a lot to talk about um but before we do that now that we've used it a week i think we should get into kind of the physical design of both the device and the remote a little bit because that's something that is worth talking about but before we do that why don't we take a minute to talk about our first sponsor of today's show and that's our friends over at braintree this episode of mac power users is brought to you by braintree Code for easy online payments. So if you're a mobile app developer out there, check out Braintree because it has the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. So these are big companies and they're doing their processing through Braintree. Uh, They've made it simple, uh, a payment experience with these apps, and they make it seem seamless and magical. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app. With excellent customer support and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared for your, when your company grows and from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problems of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. You know, when you've got something you're selling, a lot of people get into the cart and at some point they just don't finish the transaction. Braintree helps you out with that. And they make the payment experience in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. Now you can add a similar experience to your own apps. Braintree gives you full stack payment solution, support for all payment types your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with single integration. And it's with you across all platforms. With superior fraud protection and their fantastic customer service and fast payouts, you can't go wrong. So to learn more and for your uh, to get your first $50,000 in transactions for free, Go to braintreepayments.com slash MPU. Once again, braintreepayments, and that's A-I-N for brain, uh, slash MPU. And thanks, Braintree, for supporting the show. 
So there were a couple of big new headlining features of the new Apple TV that distinguish it from the the previous model Apple TV. Uh, The first one I think we want to talk about a little bit is the remote. And um, the remote is interesting. Uh, you know, we were Steve Jobs famously introduced the original Apple TV remote as as being so simple. It only has one, two, three, four. I think that one only had five buttons. We've gotten a few more buttons over the years, but it's it's still a remarkably simple remote. It's got menu, home, Siri, pause, play, volume, and a trackpad. So shockingly few remote uh, buttons compared to a standard run of the mill remote. Yeah, I like the evolution of the remotes as well. Going back to the original Apple TV, it was that white plastic thing, you know, that used to get with an iMac when you bought an iMac as well. Um, Then they got a little more slim with this aluminum one that was very good at following in between couch cushions. Yes, I've cleaned more places of my house looking for that remote. Well, maybe that's a a feature. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But, But it was like, tapered on the edges so if you dropped it just you know it seemed like it always found its way right through those cushions uh the new one is bigger and it does more um it's got more buttons on it it's got a menu you know menu and home button play pause um and it's got a plus and minus button which you can use to do your volume on your tv we're going to talk about that in a minute uh, but the big things the two the two additions to it that are really big is number one is it's got a trackpad so uh, just like so many of your other devices, you can swipe it and things will happen. And it's got a Siri button. It's a dedicated Siri button. So uh, they've added quite a bit to that. Now let's talk about the trackpad. I will tell you initially when I started using the trackpad on the remote, I was not a fan. I found it uh, less precise and kind of a pain. And I mean that in the physical sense to use. And it just wasn't as comfortable as as clicking on a button on the more, yeah, I'll call it a D, the more traditional D pad for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, I don't know if I agree with you. The it's different. I mean, it's I've never had a remote control for a TV with a trackpad on, except uh, the old remote app on the iPhone that I used to control my old Apple TV with. But this is kind of better. It tracks better. Um, there are some issues with it. I mean, for instance, one of the complaints I have is. Uh, a lot of times I'll put the Apple TV remote in my pocket if I'm working in the room with the TV on mm-hmm. and with the trackpad, because it's tactile or it's um, um, if you touch it, it'll, you know, it'll track forward. Uh, I found I was fast forwarding or rewinding the video I was watching when I put it in my pocket in a way that it, you know, was close to my skin. Yeah. I've had uh, the same experience when it just brushes up against the side of my pocket. But, but I also like, the ability to swipe and move. And I know there's like a ton of discussion about text entry. We're going to get to that later, but you can, you can swipe it and move many letters at a time versus the old system where you would sit there and hammer away at the buttons to move. If you you want to get to the number nine, you got to hammer it nine times. And I don't know that that's necessarily ideal either. So I like that they're moving forward with it. Um, But uh, one of my complaints of the trackpad is the actual click of the trackpad. It doesn't have a tap feature on it. I'm one of those weirdos that taps my trackpad rather than clicking it. And the click has, or at least it feels to me like a little too much travel in it. So it takes a bit of force and a bit more movement than I expected uh, to get the trackpad to click. Does that sound like a whiny thing to no, it's and I think that kind of goes with one of my pain points of, of the trackpad. I, I will tell you that after using it for 
a week or more. I, I have gotten used to it. it. It's not as annoying as I originally found it. So it, it is growing on me. One of the things that has helped is I've gone into the settings and I've changed the default tracking speed from medium to fast. And I okay. found that that has helped me. Yeah, that would. So like if you're putting text in one swipe gets you all the way to Z. Yeah, I just found that it wasn't as precise before, and it, it tends to be more precise for me now on the fast setting. Yeah, okay. And and moving around the apps and doing all that stuff, it, it feels like uh, what a trackpad should do. If you're used to using Apple devices, especially iOS devices, a lot of the, the operation of this device is going to feel second nature to you yeah. with the trackpad. I also find that I sometimes have trouble orienting it. And I mean that not just in the sense that which direction is the remote facing? Because the remote is so symmetrical that if you pick it up in a dark room or even a lit room sometimes, it's hard to tell which side is up because the remote is symmetrical. And, and sometimes I pick it up and it's upside down. I've got to flip it around. But I also have difficulty orienting it. For example, if, you know, instead of sitting up watching TV, maybe I'm laying down on the couch or I'm laying sideways on the couch, you know, that I, I tend to track in the wrong direction because I'm not oriented properly. Does that make sense? Not really. No. Okay. We'll try it. it. So, so you go forward or backwards? You, no, like you I'm. Think you're I'm going more. I more so go left or right. Left when I mean to go up or something like that because uh, because I'm laying okay. down because I'm sideways. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got some solutions for the trackpad. We we've got a whole section in the outline about remote tricks, but but I agree with you about the way it's so symmetrical and you know, the way you figure it out is like, you can feel the texture, the texture of the trackpad is different than the texture of the bottom. But in the process of doing that, if you're watching a movie, you're going to scrub the movie and that's not good. It takes you out of the experience. And, and there is a trick once again, to get back to where you left off, but who wants to be dealing with that nonsense? Right. Um, the other it, way you just, can tell is the volume button is different. So yeah, you could feel for the volume button. But yeah, it just, it seems to me like they could have done better. And I, I still haven't got used to like the Siri. I have a whole section on Siri. I like, I really like Siri on my, my TV, by the way. Uh, you, but, you, you and Siri just have a thing, period. Yeah, we do. We do. We're going to, you know, go on vacation together or something. But the, um, but the, but finding the Siri button in the dark is, is kind of hard. I haven't got used to where it is. I end up pushing the wrong button. Yeah. And, I feel like but, Siri should be the top button and it's not. Yeah, and so I end up pushing the top button, which goes back in the menu. So if I'm watching Netflix, it just jumps me out of the movie and goes to the Netflix menu. I'm like, ooh, I didn't mean to do that. Um, it, so it, it is a little difficult to use with the um, with the symmetrical nature of the remote. It's small, but it's not as small as the prior one. Uh, I don't, you know, I like in general the design looks beautiful. I just think it could be a little more ergonomic. Um, yeah, I think one other concern, and thankfully I haven't had personal experience with this, but we've seen reports online, uh, the remote is the weak link here. You know, when I bought my Apple TV, I was offered Apple Care, and it wasn't very expensive. It was, you know, $29, and I thought, who buys Apple Care on an Apple TV? You know, this is probably the least likely product to break. It's stationary. It's not going anywhere. It's not being subjected to anything. No, thank you. I'll pass. Um, and then I keep seeing these pictures popping up online of the shattered Apple TV remotes that are $79 to replace. And I go, oh, that's what Apple Care is for. Yeah, we had people over the house on the weekend and I at one point walking through the room. I was I was um, bratwursting, of course. And um, as I walked by, I see that the kids had balanced the Apple TV remote on the couch armrest. 
And it's funny, like I would never care about that a few weeks ago, but now I'm like, no, that's not staying there. That's going somewhere else. Right. Uh, and and I, because, you know, the Apple TV remote used to be like the solid little tiny aluminum thing. I would vig- very regularly toss it, you know, toss it onto the couch, toss it into the chair, yeah. toss it to somebody uh, gently. But, you know, I wasn't going to zing yeah. this thing, but you know what I mean. Um, I bet you'd zing it at me. Yeah. But <laughs> not anymore. Not going to toss that remote anymore. The, um, Okay, so now that we've been trashing on this remote, um, I want to take a minute to talk about some of the cool stuff you can do with it. Okay. Um, there, there's there's actually quite a bit, and it's not obvious. I mean, I so one of my research projects for this uh, show, which was a, a lot of fun. I you know I haven't had as, we always research our shows, but this time I got to watch TV for like three hours as I was researching it. Yeah, and Daisy yeah. was saying, "What are you doing? Don't you aren't you supposed to be working?" And you're like, "I am. No, they went, I am they working." Went out, they went out to the market or something. I'm like, "Okay, great." And so I was. I had the remote. I had headphones. I had all this stuff going on. Um, so, uh, so I thought I'd just go through some of it. Um, if you double click on the home button, this is the one that I, oh, that's, in fact, let me just talk about that for a minute. The, the top right button kind of looks like a home button on the iPhone, but not exactly. And it's in the place that the home button isn't on the iPhone. I mean, if I was making a home button, I would put it on the bottom center because that's where it is on every iOS device, but it's in the upper right. And, and I, I, I was so confused about that button for the first you know, a couple hours and I realized, you know what, this is a home button. It's just in a different place. Once your brain accepts that, it completely makes a difference for you. So you double click the home button and guess what happens? The exact same thing that would happen on iOS. You get this app switcher and you can switch between the applications. Um, and, um, and you, um, and that's really nice. So it actually has an app switcher like iOS and you can move through it with a trackpad. And if you see an app you don't like swipe up and it, and the app, gets um hard quit you know force quits it so uh that's a that's a trick so double click the home button um now if you, while you're on the home button if you decide you're done with the apple tv for now you can hold down the home button and it gives you a menu that allows you to put the apple tv to sleep uh such a big improvement over the old one where you had to go into a menu in the settings to do that now, do you want to um, do you want to talk about yet how you can connect that up to your TV, or we'll wait, save that for yeah, later? Yeah, why, why not? Now it's called HDMI CEC, I believe, is the protocol for it. And if your TV supports it, uh, it it should automatically work. And 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 keep in it. mind that many of the different TV manufacturers call this different things, so you may not see this by name on your TV. Like for example, I've got some Samsung TVs um, and they all call it AnyNet. And even my older Samsung TV has this support. So chances are pretty good. Your TV has this support. And, and where it really kicks in. I mean, the, I think the biggest benefit of it is volume, you know, because what do you always have to get your TV remote for is you want to turn the volume up and down. Um, and it, well, it does, but keep in mind that you can also manually you know, the, the Apple TV remote has, um, I'm, I always get this wrong. Is it infrared or is it, um, this, whatever the default one, um, remote ports. So you can go into settings of Apple TV and you can program your remote. So for example, I use a soundbar with my TV. I don't use any of the volume features in my TV. So even though my Apple TV automatically, because of this any net connection was programmed to, to use the volume on my TV, I was able to take the remote control for my soundbar and program the volume up and volume down buttons manually for my Apple TV. So now my Apple TV volume controls my soundbar. Okay, you ready to tease me about my Sonos? Okay, because my I like you. Uh, in fact, one of the benefit we're going to talk about the hardware design of the device itself, but um, it doesn't have optical out on it now. But I have optical out on my TV, 
which goes into my soundbar. And I really prefer the sound through the soundbar over the sound of my TV. However, there is no remote application. There's no remote for Sonos. So the only way I can turn the volume up and down is go to the Sonos app or get off my butt like a like an animal and walk over there and turn it up and down. Wait, the Sonos soundbar doesn't have a remote? Not to my knowledge, at least. Maybe I should look into that, that before seems I start like, saying it on I mean, a podcast, I, I can't believe that a soundbar doesn't have a remote. It has a um, it has a um, an app, you know, and I can switch apps to 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 fiddle with the volume. But I don't think there's a remote for Sonos. Well, I'll look it up while during the next commercial break. But at this point, I haven't I haven't solved that problem. Uh, but it also the HDMI uh, the the enhanced HDMI allows you to turn it off and on. Uh, when you um, turn off the Apple TV, it should turn off the TV, or when you turn it on, it should switch the HDMI over. I have um, a relatively new TV and almost no luck getting that to work consistently. Mine mine works pretty consistently, and my TV is in the last couple of years, but yeah. it's a couple of years old, but yeah, and mine works very consistently. And in fact, my check the menu settings in your TV because my TV allows me to tweak it. You know, for example, I wasn't sure I wanted the Apple TV to turn my TV off. So instead I've configured it in my TV so that when I turn the Apple TV or put the Apple TV to sleep, it turns my um, TV back to basically HDMI one, which is where I was before the Apple TV. Well, was that would on. be great. I have to, look that. hopefully my TV does that. Yeah. That's a, uh, that is a point of contention of marital bliss when my wife turns on the TV and it's not on her beloved cable. There you go. The um, uh, so there's more you can do with the button. So uh, one of the things I really like about the new one is the way it, it syncs with Apple Music. And I guess not everybody in the world out there is using Apple Music like them, but I like it and I play it all the time when I'm walking around the house. And I really like some of the screensavers on a new Apple TV. So all what I'll do is I'll get the music going. I'll put the screensaver on and I'll sit there and work and listen to music happily. Huh. But sometimes something comes up where I want to get back to the music app quickly, and um. You can do that by holding down the play pause button. It takes about three seconds, which is kind of fun. So you don't have to go navigate back to it. You just hold down the play pause button and then it gets you back to uh, the music app when you're playing music. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, how did you ever solve your dilemma of getting the Apple TV into your Sonos with um, uh, if the new Apple TV doesn't have the uh, optical output? Well, I um, did you buy one of those little breakout boxes? Uh, no, I went a little bit different. Um, so we, we've been redoing the bedroom and the TV downstairs is 40 inches, which we've had for a long time, but it's still working perfectly fine. And uh, we were going to buy a new one for the bedroom. I'm like, well, let's buy a new one for downstairs and we'll move the old one upstairs. So I bought a new TV. <laughs> so your solution to the Apple TV not supporting HDMI, uh, uh, optical audio out was to buy a new TV? Uh, partly. Partly, partly that, and we've got some things going. You know how no people, you know how people buy new TVs for like the Super Bowl and stuff. Uh huh. Um, the the um the new Star really, Wars movies coming out. Well, no, actually, it's not that even. But this is really off the rails. But my whole family, we're insane about the Sherlock show, and um, Sherlock is premiering a new one on New Year's Day. So we've known we were going to buy a new TV with this because the old one is pretty small. You know, comparison. most most people would buy a new TV, uh, like the Super Bowls around that time. So it, that's my point. I yeah. said we were going to buy one for you know people buying for the Super Bowl. We we're buying. We're going to have a Sherlock party. We're going to dress up. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we've got a lot of friends coming over. And we said, well, we got to get a new TV for that. So it's kind of like it all worked. But I I made sure I got one with uh, optical out, 
and it goes into the Sonos and everything works great. And the, the added benefit of that is now I get the Sonos audio, not only on the Apple TV stuff, but I get it on the cable and the Xbox and whatever else we've got hooked up to the other HDMI port. So we've had a nice upgrade to the TV in the Sparks house. Yeah. And that's how my TV works is I've got everything, all of my, HD, basically I'm using my TV as a switcher. All of my HDMI runs through the TV and then I have an optical out from the TV into my soundbar. Yeah. So it sounds like how you're going to work it from now on. Yeah. It, now, if I can just get the remote audio thing done, but whatever, we'll figure it out. I, I'm sure um, someone will have a solution for you. Yeah. So the trackpad, though, there's a lot you can do. The trackpad is also deceiving. Um, you know, when you first pick it up, it's obvious to scrub. You move right and left. Like if you're watching something and you you swipe to the right, it's going to scrub forward. And the scrubbing, by the way, is really nice. If you haven't tried one yet, it does a really good job of giving you a preview of what's on the screen at the point that you scrub to. Well, it's really nice if the app supports it. Not all of the apps support that enhanced scrubbing yet. Where have you uh, not seen it? Um, A lot of the third-party apps don't support it. I mean, I believe Apple supports it, Netflix supports it, um, but some of the older apps don't yet. Yeah, it's the two places we watch the most movies, but the... um, it is nice, and and hopefully it makes it across the system. But it it's a nice feature, and it's way better. Like you know, getting back to trackpad versus traditional buttons, we used to you know you want to scrub forward quickly on the old system. You had to you keep hammering the forward button, and then you would get you know multiple arrows for the multiplication times that it's moving forward. And if you did it too many times, it went back to one, and then you have to go around the horn again, and and you would be like flying through. And of course, you'd end up going past what you needed by 10 minutes because it's already going so fast. And this new system is just so much more convenient. And that's a situation where, you know, you want to make fun of the trackpad or you say you don't like it. But when you're um, when you really do want to just scan through your movie to find a certain scene, I don't think there's any faster way to do it. Um, the uh, but there's some more you can do with the trackpad. Uh you can, uh, one of the problems you have is what I call accidental scrub. And that's like what happened when I stuck it in my pocket. Or if you're, if you're just hold, picking up the, uh, remote and you accidentally touch the trackpad and suddenly it scrubs the video while you're watching it. If you press the menu button, it, it, uh, it deletes the scrub and goes back to wherever it was when you started the scrub. So that's, Makes sense? that solves your pocket, your accidental pocket scrub. Yeah, yeah it does, but you still don't want to be right. walking around and have it it's just like so my solution for that was i just make sure when i put it in my pocket that it's facing away from my skin and i haven't had any accidental scrubs that way but you know now i got to think about when i put it in my pocket which way is it facing i mean i mean how many people are going to bother with that nonsense um, yeah. you can do some more with it though uh, if you want to go forward and backward a very short period of time i find it very difficult to do that scrubbing uh, but they have a solution for that, too. If you tap on the left or the right side of the trackpad, it goes forward or backward 10 seconds, which is kind of nice. So if you just want to go back, you know, a few seconds, you know, 10 seconds, click it once. If you want to go back 20 seconds twice. Um, if you want to have it track f- fast forward and backward like the old versions of them did, you know, where they just move forward at a set speed, um, click and hold on the right side or the left side of the trackpad and it'll go forward and backward like a traditional scrubbing. Um, and because it's a trackpad, you can make stuff happen when you swipe up and down. When you watch video, if you swipe down from the top, you get additional settings. So you can set your audio or you turn on your closed captioning, which is kind of nice. And, um, and, uh, another thing you can do with the trackpad when you're in the home screen, I call it the home screen. I don't know what they call it, but it's the, all your apps on the screen. 
if you tap and hold on an application, uh, you can move them around. And if you tap and hold it long enough, you can delete it. Right. Very similar to an iPhone screen. Yeah, that's the intention, I guess, you know. Um, so I, I, I'm getting used to the remote and I'm getting more, um, efficient with it. And so I, in general, I, I would not go back to the old remote. I mean, there's so many things, benefits I like about this and that's leaving Siri out of the, um, out of the equation entirely. Yeah. If, if you broke it, would you replace it for $79 or would you stick one of the old ones on? I guess it depends who broke it. (laughs) If I broke it, I probably would. If the kids broke it, I'd probably make them use the old one. Yeah. Um, but the, uh. Because because the old remotes do work. You can use the old remotes with the Apple TV. Yeah, but you can't use You the, can't use all the uh, features. Yeah, and you can't use the remote app on the phone, and I don't oh, know. Oh, that's a huge oversight. And, you know, Jason Snell asked them when he was at the event where it was unveiled, um, will the remote app work? And the indication that he got was, no, they're not updating it. And really? he took they're that gonna... he took that as, no, it just doesn't work now. But why in the world would they not update the remote app? Yeah. Well, maybe it's a time thing, but I I would hope that they would. I mean, it's like, why not? You know, if you're, that's the whole advantage, right? Apple hardware, it's all supposed to work together. You know, I don't know. Um. Okay. So anyway, I'll have to go and listen. Where did he say that at? Uh, upgrade. It was on. Actually, okay. there was a great I, episode of Upgrade where they were talking about the Apple TV. I'm behind. I need to get on that. Yeah. Um. But anyway. Uh. So we've got that issue. Uh. I do like the remote. Um. I I wouldn't mind if it got kind of the haptic touch stuff, you know, like we're getting everywhere else. It would make it easier to navigate it in the dark. Uh, I'm sure that would be uh, an impact on battery and that's maybe why it's not happening yet, but why not? I would like it if it was easier to find the Siri button in the dark. I guess I've already talked about that. I was kind of thinking like, you know, blue sky things. What if it had touch ID on it? I mean, there's a lot of talk about how difficult it is to enter passwords. But if See, you that remote already costs $79, Davis. <laughs> I mean, how yeah, much, I mean, how much thinking, more where, do you want to spend on a remote? Where could they go with this? And um, it seems to me like a Touch ID would make sense. Um, but, or or yeah. they could just create um, a remote app for the phone that you could enter your passwords on or, or a better grid system for entering passwords that didn't suck as badly as their new grid system. Or, or, they or I guess the, the, straight, the straight line. Or they could have the touch ID on your phone. I mean, because yeah. you already have a sensor there and it can talk to the phone. So you could just say, okay, put it there. And then it's going to put in all your passwords. Um, I, I think I've got later in the outline, the setup process, but um, why don't we go uh, take a quick sponsor break? I want to talk about the physical design just a little bit. And then what Siri means on the Apple TV. Well, we want to welcome a new sponsor to Mac Power users, and that's a brand new app coming out called Simul. And Simul's a new take on how you can control and interact with text on iOS. It's built specifically for the large screen of the iPad and mine. It's a minimal yet powerful text editor built around seamless Dropbox sync. So if you're somewhat familiar with NVALT's approach to managing text documents, you'll probably recognize the way that Simul organizes your file. It offers simple searchable list of all of your documents within a single folder where you can quickly filter using fuzzy search to be able to find exactly what you want. So Simul features 
unlimited undo through intuitive gestures, then it makes undo and redo a fluid part of your editing experience. It has interactive markdown highlighting and editing with natural gestures that let you manipulate your document and see your changes in real time. It's something that you really have to see in action. And speaking of which, you can. If you go to inquisitivesoftware.com, you can view a, a video of Symbol in action to find out more information. It looks clean, it's minimalistic, but don't let that fool you. It has all kinds of features under the hood. It features context-sensitive action, so you always have the tools that you need right at your fingertips. It has a fast Delta Sync to Dropbox so that you always have the latest draft of what you're working on when you need it. All of the themes and fonts that you need for your writing environment look exactly how you want, and it is fully optimized to take advantage of iOS 9 features like multitasking, spotlight integration, and more. Uh, this is an app that you really need to see, so go take a look over it at inquisitivesoftware.com. Simul is intended to be a pro app with a price that's going to support its business model. Right now, you pay one flat price of $7.99, no ads, no in-app purchases, but as the developer adds new features, that price is going to go up. So if you want to get on the ground floor of this, uh, definitely go check it out right now at inquisitivesoftware.com and take a look for yourself. And thanks to Simul for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, just briefly, the physical design of the actual box really hasn't changed much. It's a little taller than the old one. And I don't know if it's physically larger in the outside dimensions, but it's, it's just a little bit taller. It did lose the optical outport. Uh, but it still has HDMI out, and it looks basically like an old Apple TV. Yeah, I will say one other change that they made is they moved to a USB-C style port. Yeah. Which means if you ever need to reset or restore it and you can't do it from the box itself and you end up having to, because that is a troubleshooting step that you take before you send it into service. And I have had to do this once before on one of my Apple TVs that just was not behaving properly is you plug it in with a USB port into iTunes and iTunes can do kind of a hard restore of it similar to to an iPhone. But in order to do that, you are going to need a USB-C cable. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to one. I, I picked one up off of Amazon. It was like seven or eight bucks. And it's just kind of one of those things that I, I threw in my cart. And the next time I had an order, I, I, I went ahead and added it and had it shipped. Because when you really need it, you're going to want to make sure that you have it in your toolbox. And it's probably not a, not a cable that you, you have normally. And, unless you've got a fancy MacBook. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the USB-C, that's probably another topic for another day, but it's really exploding in terms of uh, peripherals and cables. And it's it's not going to be a problem getting stuff with USB-C. And I understand why they went there. It's kind of the future of things. Uh, but the, one of the big questions in my mind with this whole new TV is how important is something like Siri on your television? And I, I even though I'm a proponent of of Siri and dictation in general, I wasn't sure about it. And we're recording the show a week after we received ours, or maybe even just a little bit longer than a week. And that was on purpose. We didn't want to do a show the first day because we felt like we couldn't give you good advice and tips unless we had spent some time with it. And it's interesting for me just in this week, because the first couple of days, frequently I would forget that Siri was available to me because I've never had a TV where I can talk to it and have things happen. And over the last three or four days, I have increasingly you know, made a conscious effort to use Siri on it. And it is really useful. I think that um, it's a really nice feature. It's much faster than any other way to find, locate, and start content on your TV. I mean, just like last night when I was kind of testing for things, 
Um, I'm a big John Lake Hooray fan. I said, well, maybe I'll watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So I just press the button and say, you know, find Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And it goes through and it searches iTunes and Netflix and all the various services I have. And it shows me right there. So with saying the word in like one click, I was into the movie. And there's just no way on, you know, there's just no way I would have been able to do that without a lot of hunting and pecking with the prior version of the TV. Um, well, so I keep in mind that the prior version of Apple TV did not have universal search. The new version does. So you've got two advantages now with the new version of Apple TV. Number one, you have universal search, which means it will search for something across multiple services rather than having to go into iTunes and search it, having to go into Netflix and search it, having to go into Hulu and search it. The Apple TV now has universal search, and it's it's one of those default apps that is on the Apple TV so even without the Siri support, you still could go into that universal search and start typing a few letters of a movie that you wanted to see, and it would search across all services. So that's one huge advantage. I mean, and both of these had to come together in order for this service to work. And then on top of that, you have Siri. Now, keep in mind, Siri does not work across all apps. You know, right now it's working on Netflix, it's working on Hulu, it's working on Showtime, it's working on uh, HBO, uh, and it's working in iTunes. There's still a lot of places that Siri doesn't work. It doesn't work with Apple Music. It doesn't work in Apple Store. It doesn't work on any of the other third-party apps yet. Supposedly, there's an API that developers can plug into, but Apple's been a little wishy-washy on the details of that. Yeah. And I agree, but it's still, it's so fast. I mean, even if I was, you know, accepting that I can do universal search on the new Apple TV, I would have to get to that search bar and I'd have to go boop, boop, boop. You know, I'd have to be going through typing the text and it's just a lot faster. So if you've got one of these, or if you're going to go in the store and try it out, spend some time with Siri and see if you find it as useful as I do. I did a post at Max Barkey. I'll go ahead and link it in the show notes where I went through, cause you know, for research for the show research, right? Um, I went through various categories and found things that worked and didn't work. Um, I guess I'll summarize them here, but um, the general commands are like, you know, finding content. So if I say play ET or find Henry Thomas movies, it's going to go ahead and do that. Uh, but they, they've done even better than that. Like I, I asked at one point, find the series finale for the new heart show. And it went and found it for me or play the episode of the new girl with Prince in it. And it did. I mean, of all the new girl episodes and Netflix, it went through and found the one where Prince was a guest star. So um, it's that stuff is pretty powerful and, and it doesn't work just for media. It also plays for the game. So if you say play Alto's adventure, it goes and does it. And, and one of the advantages of this is that it does it from anywhere in the, in the Apple TV. So if I'm playing Alto's adventure and I say play ET, it just goes to ET. I don't have to go to the intermediary step of going back to the menu or the home screen and finding the search bar and then tapping it out. So just for the basic commands of running the TV, there's, um, there's a lot you can do with it. But there's more than that. There's like the search commands. Have you played with the search commands at all? Oh, yeah. I've played extensively with Siri. Yeah. And so sh- so sh- the- Go ahead. I mean, you can say things like, you know, find me spy movies, find me only the James Bond movies, um, show me only the ones with um, Sean Connery. And it will, I mean, it, the fact that Siri is able to build off of successive commands is is big. I have found great accuracy with Siri recognizing the words that I'm using. So her her, her speech recognition is quite good um, in the Siri search. I guess the question is what devices or what services do you subscribe to depends on how useful that is to the amount of content that you have access to. 
Yeah, just, you know, as a dictation nerd, that that thing where you can ask it, say, show me spy movies, and then it gives you a list, and then you say, only comedies, and then it shows you spy movies that are comedies. That is something that I've always wanted on Siri on the phone, and it's not there yet. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's so Siri, it's that contextual awareness of saying, okay, first he wanted this, and now I'm doing something with that subset of data. Um, that's that's exciting to me that it exists. I, I hope that that shows up on the remaining iOS devices at some point, uh, but it's interesting to see. And I think part of the reason why it could work here so easily is because it's a limited dictionary in essence. You know, they it's not like all the things Siri can do on the phone, but that's pretty cool that you can have it. You can add additional words to further narrow the data, you know, show me comedies. Uh, and then you can say only ones from this year. And then you only see comedies from this year or only good ones. And it'll show you ones that only have high ratings. So and that's nice. You can search with your voice. One, um, one of the features that I've used is some of the commands that you can issue Siri when you're actually in a movie. So yeah. for example, you can tell it to uh, fast forward two minutes or go back two minutes or restart this from the beginning or um, one of my favorites is, you know, the what did he say, what did she say command that will back up 15 seconds and turn on closed captioning if you've missed something. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's really, that's the sexy one everybody talks about. Right. But it works. And, and it's it's smart. You know, so somebody at Apple said, okay, well, if they asked that question, what would they want? They'd want closed captioning for 15 seconds and just to go back. And it works. It's it's a it's a fun feature to show off. You know, when people are like, "Well, show me the new Apple TV," and you can say that it's like magic. Um, you can also get information about the movie. You can say who directed this or who stars in this. Um, it's not as deep as I'd like. You can't say what is the movie rated or when was it released, so you can get the release date. But I was thinking, well, if it can get that information, why can't it get more? Um, like who wrote the soundtrack for this movie? Uh, it wouldn't do that, and. So I guess they don't care as much about the guy who writes the soundtrack. Uh, I, you know, the idea of who stars in this movie got me thinking, well, why can't you tell me who's on screen right now? So I said, who is that when there's one person on the screen and it couldn't do that for me either. And that's something that I think would take a lot more crunching of data. Well, because it would have to look at time codes of who's on the screen at certain times. Exactly. But I mean, why not in the future have something like that? I mean, who is that actor? Yeah. The question is, is there's a, is there a database of that information? I don't know. I don't know. Computers are getting pretty smart. I think at some point they could create that. And, um, and I know this is first generation and I'm asking for a lot, but I, you know, when I was going through this stuff, I, I wanted to not only kind of catalog what it can do, but what it can't do. And that kind of brings me to the next category, which is Siri data. There's a lot of information that Siri has or your computer or your Apple TV has about you. Cause you put your iCloud password in there. Uh, and, it gives you some of it, but it doesn't go as far as I'd like it to. Um, it's a, and most of it is non-personal information. Like what's the weather that you can ask, or is it going to rain tomorrow? You can even ask about other cities. As I record this, I'm getting ready to jump on a plane. So I said, what's the weather in Orlando? And it gave me today's weather in Orlando. But if I asked, what's the weather this week in Orlando, it gave me a week forecast for Orlando. Hot and muggy. Yeah. That's what I basically heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, what time does the sun rise tomorrow that it will give me that? Or I can say, well, how is the Apple stock doing? It'll give me a stock quote, but then it starts to kind of fall apart. I, I asked it how many days until Christmas and it said one month and then I, which is not true. Well, it's roughly a month. And then I said, how many days until January 7th? 
and it said one month. So it, it's calculating <laughs> days by months. It's not counting by days. So my question is, if you can, fig- and then I would say, well, how long until, you know, July 4th? And it would say 10 months or something. And so it's, it knows enough to figure out, you know, the months. Why not go the extra step? I mean, it's got what an A8 processor in there. It could, it could actually figure out the number of days for me. So I don't know why they didn't take that extra step. Um, then I started asking it about data that uh, that is personal to me in my iCloud account. And it has access to iCloud because it sees my photos and does some other things. So I said, what is Katie Floyd's phone number? And then it showed me a movie called Phone Booth. Well, there you <laughs> so, go. There's your answer. There you go. But I can understand uh, it not doing that. I mean, it's not going to tell you what my phone number is. And it's not going to tell you what your appointments are because the Apple TV is very much a shared device. It, my guess would be at least not in the future without, you know, flipping some switches and giving it some permission, because even though the Apple TV is set tied to your iCloud account, it doesn't know that you're the one using it. And you you may not want a family member having access to your calendar. Yeah, but it it also would be nice. And I I totally appreciate that. And I know people will not. Well, and also, you know, Apple is about, you know, cloud data on local devices, not processing cloud data in the cloud. Uh, But I think it would be nice if I could say, what are my appointments tomorrow while I'm watching TV and get a nice little transparent bubble that shows me what's up for tomorrow. Right. Why not? Uh, doesn't do math. I mean, that's something that's not personal data. But if you say what's 17 plus 32, it can't do that. But if you ask your Siri on your phone, it can. So I think there's some some room to go with this. And And, you know, being fair, this is the first iteration of this new device. And I'm sure they're looking at what types of questions people are asking and they're they're probably figuring out, you know, how much they can enable, but, you know, getting it to find movies that had, you know, James Bond attached to them is more important than telling me what's 17 plus 32. And they got that part, right. Um, the other thing that Siri can do, and, and I didn't realize this until I just tried it this weekend, uh, is it can do things like turn on closed captioning and it can even do it in some third party apps. Like I was, um, I don't remember what I was watching, but I was watching something over the weekend uh, and I just pushed and I said, turn on closed captioning and boom, it, it worked. Uh, It can, it can do things. It can launch apps. It can launch settings. uh, It can. uh, Yeah. That one's important. Say open settings and it gets you to the settings app, which is nice. uh, And then sports, you know, Siri has always had a tie in. I don't know. I think they're getting their information from ESPN, but you can ask it, you know, did my favorite sports team win or when do they play next? Or, and selected information about some of the more popular players. So uh, one of the utility features I, I don't want to skip over is the reduce loud sounds feature. Um, if you've got other people in the house and they go to bed and you look, watch a, a movie that's got a lot of explosions in it, but also people talking, you have to choose between um, hearing the people talking and having the explosions really loud or, you know, turning down the explosions and not being able to understand what they're saying when they're talking. Uh, so they've got this feature that kind of um, balances it. It turns down the explosions and turns up the dialogue. It's kind of nice. I like that. And you can do that with Siri. Just say reduce loud sounds. Uh, one of the things we didn't say at the beginning is to make Siri work, you have to hold down the Siri button. It's not where you just tap it, which took a little getting used to for me because I've got all these years of training where I you know, activate Siri by double tapping, not not um not holding it down like that. Yeah. And if you want a tutorial on Siri, if you tap the button and I think you tap it a second time, they'll bring up instructions on screen showing you examples of things you can say to Siri. 
Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, and, and, yeah it is. Well, it, it sounds like you are much more into Siri on the Apple TV than I am. I, I, I think it's a useful feature. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm finding that even as the, you know, we're now stretching into week two of the Apple TV. Uh, I've I've used my Apple TV every day since I've received it. But I'm finding that I'm using Siri less and less. Um, at first, it was it was really a novelty. It was it was cute. It was fun. It was the new thing. Um, but I. And it's nice to have. Don't get me wrong. I I enjoy having it. I think it was a feature that they needed to, you know, check the box and compete with the other devices and services that have it. But I do think that there is a bit of a novelty feature. It, it it's useful, but not necessary. I I would not have another one without it. I mean, you know, we so I, I kind of referenced earlier. We so the TV in our bedroom. I think we bought it when we got married. It's a tube TV. It's like fifteen inches, and it has a VCR built into it because that was state of the art when we bought it and um yeah and so you should upgrade moving, that one yeah well we're moving the old family tv up to the bedroom the 40 inches going to the bedroom and the um and i've got my old 2008 apple tv with it and i think it's really gonna bug me that i can't have siri up in the bedroom um but i'm probably just gonna wait till the next iteration of apple tv daisy's and, going and, you know, finally a room that that woman's <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't care. She she gets it, but it's it, so I I actually think it's a really nice feature and and being able to pause and have it say what did she say and and all that stuff that you can do a lot of that with the remote, but everything takes a bunch of extra time and just to hold up the remote, push down the button, and say something is really convenient. So yeah. so I I think it's a big deal. I I'm definitely not phasing down my use of Siri. I'm, if anything, it's going up. Uh, but I do think if you're out there, you should kind of get familiar with the commands. Like I said, that post I did, or I'm sure it's uh, elsewhere on the internet too. I haven't you know looked, but I'm sure there's other people have posted on it, but look at some of the, the more exotic things you can do with it. So you understand, or just like Katie said, just look at the on-screen tutorial. I think they've got a bunch of that stuff in there as well. Right. All right. Well, let's move into how we're actually using um, our Apple TVs besides talking to Siri. But before we do, why don't we take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode? Uh, And that is the folks over at Automatic. Yeah. I mean, I guess Katie doesn't like to talk to Siri as much as I do. But you know what I also talk to is my car. Yeah. You know, because I'm just driving down the street. Got to talk to somebody. And uh, my car is a lot smarter than it used to be because I bought this Automatic device. And Automatic is a connected car adapter. Uh, It plugs into the diagnostic part in your car. Just about every car since 1996 has one. And, uh, you know, it geeks out your ride. I don't know how else to put it. It it pairs to your iPhone. It's got a Bluetooth transmitter in there. And it's, you know, and the most basic thing it does is it, it, you know, when your car has a problem and it has one of those codes it puts out, it translates it for you and puts it on your phone. It can send you a text message. I mean, it can do all this stuff with you to tell you when your car's got an issue or not. And it's, it's got, there's a whole ecosystem built around it. And so you get that, that mobile app. They've got a website. You can go on the web as well. It can also log your trips. So if you're going to go somewhere on business, you can get the exact mileage. You don't have to do that silly thing anymore. You know, you used to go on to Google Maps or Apple Maps and replot your trip and do all this stuff. Now you just go on the website. It's already done for you. It tells you exactly how far you went, how much gas you used, um, how long it took you. It also has crash detection. So uh, if your car is in a crash, I mean, the diagnostic part report reports that and the automatic 
takes that and does more with it. It'll detect the crash. It'll call a number to get you help. So it's like if you're in a crash and you're unconscious, your phone is already helping you out by through this automatic thing. They even have automatic um, has a human that will go online and they'll call you. And this is all part of the device. There's no subscription with this. It just works. That was one of the big reasons why I bought two more and put one in my wife and my daughter's cars, because I just I want to know if they're in a crash and I want to know that someone's trying to help them. Uh, it can decode the engine problems like a pro. It can improve your driving with feedback. Uh, you know, if you like to game the system, this is a really good way to kind of get yourself to do that. If you're accelerating too hard or braking too hard, it tells you and it shows you how much money that's costing you for all the gas and energy you're using. And you can even locate your car. You know, if you go to Disneyland and you at the end of the day, you're tired, you don't remember where your car is, lo- you know, automatic can hone in for you. So there's just a lot you can do with this device. And uh, there's third-party apps to add to all of that. So there's, you know, they've got fleet apps. They've got ways to track your expenses. It works with Fresh FreshBooks. It works with If This Then That, so you can have automatic data go and log into a database for If This Then That, which is a great way to report your expenses. Um, they attach to the to the watch, so you can mark a trip as a business-related with one tap on your wrist when you get there. Uh, there's so many of them. Just go to the website. You can see I, uh, I really love this device. It's it's the most fun I've had with my car. Um, uh, and uh, it, you can get all this stuff just for ninety nine ninety five. But it's better than that if you buy it through us through our discount code. Because for Mac Power users listeners, you're going to get twenty percent off. So go to automatic.com slash Mac power. Once again, automatic.com slash Mac power. You get 20% off. You get the device for $80. Uh, if you've got a nerd in your life, this is a great Christmas present. It's so fun to set it up in your car and start making stuff happen. It gets to you in two business days and they have a 45 day return policy. So if you're not happy with it, you can, you know, send it back, but I don't think you're going to have that problem. I like, I like mine so much. Like I said, I bought two more of them. Uh, so once again, automatic.com slash Mac power. Thanks automatic for supporting the show. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how we're using the new Apple TV, because although there are a lot of new features that are different between the new and the old Apple TV, it's not dramatically different yet. I mean, one of the things that we are waiting on is for apps to come out, because if you don't install any of the new third-party apps on the Apple TV, out of the box, the the new Apple TV experience is very similar to the old Apple TV experience, except you've got Siri, except you've got this new remote, and you know, you've know you got some other features. What, what I think that is really going to distinguish the Apple TV going forward as a platform is the app experience and what app developers are going to make of it. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about how we're using it and specifically if there are any, you know, game changing apps that are that are changing the way that we use our Apple TV. And uh, I know the big one for me is is Plex. And so uh, if, if you don't mind us maybe starting there. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, uh, why don't you start lead that conversation? Because you've been a Plex user for a long time. I've been resistant to it because they never had a native app on the Apple TV. And I didn't want to monkey around with the stuff you had to do before to get it to work. Yeah. So I, as a cord cutter, I started investigating, you know, kind of third party uh, entertainment solutions. And so let me let me talk by explaining a little bit about what Plex is. So you can find it at you know Plex.tv. And this is basically a, a media center solution for the media that you own. And Plex is basically two components. Um, there's a server and a client side component. So you install the the server component 
installs either on a computer, preferably a computer that's always on so that it can serve this media somewhere, um, or a NAS. So certain um, network-attached storage devices will run Plex. For example, I'm running Plex off of my Drobo 5N. Um, what are you running Plex off of? Are you running it off your Drobo or off I, a computer? Well, I've got, um, I had a Drobo 5N, but, you know, I've been using increasingly, because I have the, I think it's the third or the fourth, gen- the most recent generation Drobo, attached uh, via USB 3 uh-huh. to my iMac. And I really like the speed of just having it attached directly to my computer. So I've kind of moved to where I'm using that a lot more than the the network attached one. And and you can put a Plex server on your iMac. And since my iMac is running 24-7, it's no problem to do that. So I've got all the data on the Drobo and the Plex server software running on my iMac. And you'll probably get much better performance um, with Plex server running off of a computer as opposed to a NAS, it's, oh, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll tell you on the Drobo, it's fine, but everything is already I've I've already pre encoded all of my stuff for the format that I wanted in. If you're going to be re encoding things, you'll you'll probably want a little bit something a little higher, heavier duty. But you know, the Drobos, most of the Synology, newer Synologies, and basically a computer. I, I've thought about reinstalling Plex on my Mac Media Center, but it hasn't been an issue yet. Um, so you install the Plex yeah. server, and then what you do is um, you basically point it to your media. So ideally, you've got this folder full of movies and this folder full of TV shows and this folder full of music. Um, and the beauty about Plex is that by default, it will take most media formats. You know, if you've ripped something into, you know, uh, I'm going to get some of these formats wrong, uh, but if they're M4Vs or if they're just straight rips or whatever they are, Plex has the ability to read and transcode most anything on the fly. Now, I have already encoded most of my media for optimum quality for Apple devices, so my Drobo doesn't have to do any of the heavy lifting of of re-encoding. And so that saves me a lot of time and hassle, but that's one of the beauties about Plex. And if you name your media in a certain way, Plex is going to be able to pick up what it is. Um, If it's a series of DVDs, uh, a television series on DVDs that you've um, pulled, if you name it like by disc and by a title number or uh, by television series and by episode number, you know, there are a couple of different ways that you can name things, but as long as you conform to a fairly standard naming convention, Plex is going to be able to identify it and then it's going to add um, all of the metadata to it. It's going to add outwork. It's going to add, you know, descriptions. It's going to add information about who's in the program, um, and then it's going to organize it for you in this beautiful interface that gives you access um, to all of your media and gives you information about it. Yeah, I mean, that to me is one of the big advantages of using it. So I'm new to Plex. I'd I'd never really spent much time with it because up until last week to get it on your Apple TV, it was a big pain in the, you know what? So I would just use Apple's um, home sharing and then watch it through iTunes. But I really like the way that Plex does a good job of presenting the media, even if you don't have all the full metadata on it. I mean, for a lot of the DVDs we've bought over the years, I have ripped them uh, to the Drobo just because I don't want to have to go looking for the plastic every time I don't watch it. And when you have kids, they have like peanut butter on their fingers and they're handling this stuff, you know, it just gets it's nutty. So literally um, nutty. this has been really nice. Yeah, exactly. Well, with or without. And um, and this has been a really you know nice thing for me. I. I kind of wish I had tried it earlier, except I just didn't want to have to, you know, hack around on my Apple TV to get it to work. Yeah. Now, one thing that I I will tell you, kind of comparing Plex to home sharing, and and I've used both side by side for a while because there have been ways in the past to hack a Plex, hack Plex onto your Apple TV 
but it's not been particularly pretty. And there's it's it's always been, you know, one of these things where you'd have to work around and then something gets patched, you have to work around it again. So I've always used kind of two side-by-side interfaces where I would use Plex for certain things, but I would also use Apple TV home sharing for many things as well. Um, and I'll tell you, and we'll get into it later, I still have dual interfaces going. I still use home sharing for some things and Plex for others because right now, I still have multiple generations of Apple TVs in my home. Um, I've got two previous generation Apple TVs and now one new generation Apple TV. So until I phase those old Apple TVs out, I will have to keep some variant of home sharing going in, in order to keep access to that content. The other thing that you need to know about Plex is that Plex is not going to work with DRM's content. So all of those movies and TV shows and seasons that you've bought from iTunes with DRM content, you're not going to be able to play through Plex. Um, You are going to have to either get those through iCloud or through home sharing, depending on whether you want to just stream them or whether you want to play them locally off your network. Okay. Well, it it is uh, an improvement. I like it. I'm only a weekend, so I probably can't give you too much advice, except I'd at least give it a try. If you've got a folder that has undrmed media on it sitting on your network somewhere. This is an easy way to get it on your, um, your Apple TV. Yeah. And I, um, there are a couple of good video tutorials, um, on Plex and I'll throw a link to some of them in the show notes. I I think our good friend Todd has done a video tutorial series on Plex. Uh, Todd Oltoff. Yeah. Okay, and he's got a he's got a YouTube channel, so I'm sure it's up there. Yeah. Um, um, the uh, the go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say well, one thing to note: if you are trying to update Plex onto a NAS server, chances are you're going to have to manually update Plex in order to run it off your NAS, uh, because particularly if you're trying to update from like the Drobo library or uh, the Drobo app library or the Synology app library, those versions of Plex that they have in their stores, so to speak. Um, probably have not been updated yet for Plex that's compatible with Apple TV. So you're probably going to have to do a manual download and a manual update of Plex on your NAS for now until they've updated. Because typically I've noticed that it takes like Drobo several weeks sometimes to to update the Plex that, that is verified to work with Drobo because they've got to test it and everything um, from the date and time that, that Plex releases an update. So I had to manually update They've got a, a paid for service with Plex. So if you want to re- access it remotely, I guess that was, and it has some other features. I'm just using the free one at this point. And, you know, the, the main reason I'm using it is I want to sit down and watch my TV and I want to watch a TV program or a movie that I had encoded onto my Drobo years or months earlier. So it just gives me a quick way to get it. I'm not sure I even want to see this stuff on the road. I never, I never watch movies when I travel. I always think I'm going to, I put them on the iPad. I have the best intentions. It just never happens. I'll tell you one of the things that I use it quite a bit for um, is, is archiving content off of my TiVo because the hard drive on my TiVo is, is only so big. And I have, um, I I tend to, to save entire series of, um, of television shows and so I have I have like seven or eight seasons of NCIS that I've just now started to go back and watch, but I don't want to keep seven seasons of NCIS on my TiVo. It you know it eat up all my content on my TiVo. Um, so I use an app called CTiVo to um, download those, and it saves it in a format that's Plex friendly. So a lot of the the content that I have in Plex uh, is stuff that I've previously recorded on my TiVo and downloaded. There you have it. Um, 
I also like the uh, the way it displays photos. I mean, we had a photos app before, but this one has been updated. Um, it looks nice. It looks really good on the screen. You know, we um in our family we quite often like to look at pictures on the TV, and I don't know if I'm if we're weirdos, but it it looks it got better with Apple TV. Um, so you've, did, you've become a flex convert. That's good. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it's part of the mix. I mean, we've bought quite a bit of stuff in iTunes movies over the years and that stuff doesn't show up in Plex. So we've got that place to go. And then we can also go into the Plex app for kind of the, the, the plastic that we've converted. Um, one thing I did with the photo display, we had, uh, uh, some friends over, over the weekend in a fam- little family party. And I created a shared library. You know how you do that on your phone. And before the party even sent, started, I sent it out. I think I've talked in the past in the Photos app how my family's become trained that when they get that shared library, they just accept it. Yeah. And whenever we have a family gathering, it's really cool because everybody's taking pictures with their phones and sharing them to the single gallery. So by the time the party's over, you've got a bunch of pictures that, you know, for parts of the little parts of the party where you weren't even in the room. And it's nice. And uh, what I did this time was I put that shared library up on the Apple TV uh, as displaying on the TV. And uh, it was really nice. So w- people were taking pictures and they were showing up on the TV. Uh, I Years ago, I did something like this with an Apple script and an iMac, and it was just very complicated. Now people can just walk around and take pictures with their phone and they automatically show up on the TV. So um, I guess it's not really that complicated. You just you share a library and you make sure you have that shared library displaying in the Photos app on the TV. Occasionally, we needed to refresh it to get some photos to show up sooner. Um, and then it devolved into a gaming session on the Apple TV. So we lost that about halfway through the party. Anyway, um, you can also share, um, you can set, uh, specific galleries as a screensaver, uh, from the photos app, which is kind of nice. I want to talk about some of the screen saving stuff I'm doing later in the show. Um, what about, um, so we've got some, so now we've kind of getting into how we use it. You want to talk about some apps. There's there also had some keyboard tricks and some other th- stuff here. Uh, how do you want to do that? Well, I, I haven't used. Uh, we, we can we can keep on the topic of of apps that we're using. Um, I, I've downloaded a couple of apps. I'll, I'll tell you one of the limitations for apps right now for me is a, a cord cutter. I can't access a lot of content in apps because I don't have cable TV login. Um, yeah, I know. Isn't it silly? You got it. Like if you download the CBS app, the first thing you're going to know is which cable company are you paying money to before we show you anything? Well, CBS is actually the odd example because for CBS, everything they want access is to their all access pass, which is. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I use the, I just picked that one out of it. Yeah. Hat. Yeah. But uh, you know, for Disney, <laughs> Disney XD, I know that one. Cause we just did went through that. We had to go online, give them the name of our cable provider and our password. Then it took us to the cable provider website where we typed in our name and password again. And then we typed in a code on the TV and then we got Disney XD. It just took quite a few steps. Right. And you know, that's, and and maybe this is a topic for a different time, but that's where I would really like to see Apple TV shine. You know, I'm not a cable TV subscriber, but I do enjoy CNN. I'm, I'm kind of a live, a live news junkie. And, you know, on Sundays when I'm home and just kind of hanging around the house, sometimes I'd like to have live, live news channel on. And there is like a, a CBS news app that's on the Apple TV. That's, that's not bad. It's just basically kind of reruns of CBS news shows, but I would probably pay, you know, three, four, five bucks a month via an in-app purchase subscription. If, if I could pay CNN to watch their channel to watch live TV when I wanted to. 
but yet well, we, that's yeah, not a feature. Can't. Yeah. Well, we, we intentionally don't make this a news and rumor show. I mean, the whole idea of Mac power users is to give you a lot of good content. And, um, but you know, just knowing people and going to WWDC and talking to people, it's, it's not a big secret that Apple has for a long time had a lot of the work done on this Apple TV and they were waiting for, um, a deal. They were trying to make a deal where you would pay something like 25 bucks a month and you would get a bunch of channels without having to go log in and prove that you're paying a cable bill. And that would be something that someone like Katie, a cord cutter would really be interested in, you know, what if you could get all the major networks and all that for some fee and then truly make, you know, the Apple TV or HDMI one tool, but you know, they just never were able to finish those deals. I'm sure they're still trying to do those deals and maybe in six months we'll have this big announcement, but it doesn't exist now. Yeah. I don't know that I want that deal though. I don't know that I want a 20 or $30 a month subscription. I think I'd like to be able to pick $5 here, $5 there. We'll see. It adds up pretty quickly though. It does. You know, it does. Maybe I'd rather, so, have, but I don't know. Uh, but in, that, go ahead. That, that being said, what, what are some of the apps? Like let's break the apps down. Um, the first category being streaming. Are there any that are of note to you at this point? Um, the only one that I've really played with is Netflix. Um, I don't typically subscribe to Netflix, but I did reactivate my subscription to play with the Apple TV and it's great. You know, it has the Siri interface. So I've, I've been playing with the the Netflix app. I'll probably deactivate my subscription again after this month until summertime. Um, but I've been playing with the Netflix app. I've kind of played with the idea of, of getting a Hulu subscription, but I don't know that I can bring myself to do that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my college kid who's working, there's some stuff on Hulu she really likes. And I said, well, if you want it, you can pay it. So she's paying for it. Now I have the benefit of it. There you go. And, and it's nice because it searches. Um, like, you know, one of the searching things I forgot to mention with Siri is uh, some of the apps don't let you search you know, with a question, like if you want to search YouTube, you can't just go in the search bar and use Siri to search YouTube. Right. That seems and, odd. Um, yeah. And that, I'm not sure exactly what the interface is for that. I mean, how do you activate Siri to search one search bar rather than searching the whole Apple TV? So maybe that's the problem they have or whatever. But I mean, the, the, the Siri is very good. So it clearly could understand if I said, you know, search for surfing cats or whatever you're looking for on YouTube and it should be able to do that. But it doesn't happen yet, so there, that's one place where I think Siri could improve. Uh, but we uh, we like uh, I like the PBS app. I like the um, the Netflix app. I think is good. Hulu's done a good job. I mean, a lot of these developers have come in with with nice streaming applications. Um, the uh, switching over to gaming. I know that's something you're not interested in, so I I kind of took that on my shoulders. You took the bullet, you know? okay. Yeah. And I, I've been a gamer. I don't play as much, you know, um, we have an Xbox that I play like two or three hours a month and, uh, I just don't have time for it, but I do like uh, some of the casual games and I saw some familiar faces on the Apple TV. So I tried them. Alto's adventure, um, is one that I like. And, um, and I, uh, so I downloaded it and, and I li had the exact same. In fact, I feel like I'm copycatting cause I listened to this week's, um, um, uh, was ATP and John Syracuse had the exact same comment I did is, is pressing the button is too hard with it. Um, it it, it kind of gets back to that, that, that trackpad touch button is just a little too forceful and a little bit too long. However, um, unlike John, I, I did go ahead and buy a, um, a game controller for it. Oh, I bought boy. The, uh, the Nimbus. Well, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, 
I don't really feel bad about that. I mean, we had a bunch of people over here and they were playing games on it and having a good time. But the uh, so it's a it's a traditional game controller. Kind of reminds me of the Xbox controller. It it charges with a lightning port, which is I think is really cool that you plug your your game controller into the lightning port and it charges up and it gives you the ability to have analog sticks and buttons and Alto's adventure works great on that with the button because it's just the right amount of press. Same thing. Crossy road is another one that I brought over. It's like an eight bit version of Frogger. If you remember Frogger and it's fun and it works really great with the game. Uh, There's one that I uh, downloaded that I bought on the Xbox already. So I knew the game it's called geometry wars and it was way upgraded for this one compared to the one I had on the Xbox. But uh, granted that was several years ago. And it, I don't know how you could play that game with a uh, with a uh, standard Apple TV controller. I haven't tried it even because it really is one where you need two thumbsticks. Um, there's one that's kind of an adventure game called Raymond's Adventure, which I'm playing the heck out of. And it's fun and it works really great with the gaming controller as well. I don't think this is a replacement for an Xbox or a or a PlayStation. And I'm not really the qualified person. In fact, the Relay FM network has a whole podcast on games called virtual I forget what it's called virtual and uh so i bet they have better opinions than me on this stuff but it's a it is a place where you can game and the games are not that expensive you know they're not the 60 dollar per title games that you get when you buy an xbox game oh man i used to hate that when i was a kid i had an atari 2600 and i remember that one it the controller had a joystick and one button and i thought it was the greatest thing in the world but the games are like 20 dollars, and there was no samples i mean you could get a magazine with pictures it was about as close as you could get and the the covers used to be amazing like they'd have these artists make these amazing covers and then you'd buy the game and it would take you like you'd have to mow lawns for like two months to get twenty dollars and then you'd go buy it and it'd be a terrible game <laughs> i used to hate that uh but either way uh memory tra- uh, lane trip aside i think gaming is totally doable on this device i think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the iteration is Apple going to update the Apple TV more frequently now? I mean, now that it does more like they're using an a eight. Now, are we going to have an a nine in one next year or an a 10 in a couple of years? If that's the case, the gaming performance, I think can really get close to what you're getting with an Xbox and a PlayStation. And those devices don't get updated except every, you know, I don't know, at least every five or six years. Well, I I think that's maybe the place we should go next is talk a little bit more about and, and wrap this up with, you know, what do we think is the future of the Apple TV and our use of the Apple TV? But uh, before we do, I, I want to thank our last sponsor for this episode, um, and that is Smile. And I want to talk a little bit about Text Expander. Um, Text Expander is, you know, probably one of my must-have go-to apps on the Mac and iOS now uh, because I just, I can't function without it. Uh, and, and what I want to focus on is how you can use Text Expander to improve your communication. What Text Expander allows you to do is it allows you to take small snippets of text, maybe a couple of words here, um, and then expand those snippets into much longer strings of text, even sometimes full paragraphs or multiple pages of text in any application. Um, And you can increase this by your your communication. You can increase your consistency. You can make sure that you're always on point by creating these snippets for common email responses, for common letters. Um, so for here are a couple of examples of how I use it. For example, um, I've created a text expander snippet for um, meeting notes so that if I'm on a meeting or if I'm in a conference call, the first thing I'll do is, is I've got a, a text expander snippet for meetings. It's like M-E-E-T 
semicolon, and it will create a fillable snippet that automatically includes the date, the time, a fill-in form for the attendees of the meetings. It has a pre- couple of pre-formed questions with the agenda, with the subject, and with action points. So I've got a little template for notes for my meetings, and I can just go in and fill in exactly what I'm doing, what the action items are, what I need to take away from this meeting, and who's going to be responsible for what. And so I know, and sometimes I even copy and paste that and send it out um, as a little mini agenda and mini review to people of the meetings so that I know that we were all in the same meeting and hopefully we all got the same information out of this meeting. This is what I'm working off of and and now it's what you're working off of too. Um, I also use Text Expander to create inf- uh, snippets for when I'm requesting information with clients. So my first couple of interactions with clients for particular cases that I handle with them, um, I have a couple of t- standard Text Expander snippets with you know a greeting and introduction, uh, a snippet that tells them a little bit about how our firm and and about how I work and what they can expect. Um, And then a list of questions for them and a list of documents that I need. And then it allows me to customize that snippet based on the circumstances. So I know that every client is having the same experience, that I haven't missed anything, that I haven't skipped any steps. And, you know, that just just keeps me honest to make sure that they're getting this information that they need and that I'm going to get the information that I need. Um, you can customize t- uh, text expander to create fill-in fields and so that you can provide, you know, a, a little extra TLC with your snippet. So, um, you know, you've got a base of a snippet to be working on, but they can be customized for whatever the special occasion is. Um, and the beauty about text expander is you can use your snippets anywhere. Um, you can use them on your Mac. They can sync across multiple devices with all of the various cloud services. You can sync using Dropbox or iCloud, but you can also use all of these text expander snippets on your iPhone as well using the text expander touch app and special text expander enhanced applications. Um, things can go even further. So text expander five is great. It allows you to suggest abbreviations, allowing you to save even more time. It is fully compatible with El Capitan. You can use the Text Expander custom keyboard in Text Expander version 3 for iOS. Uh, Text Expander 5 costs just $44.95, and upgrades start at just $19.95 if you've got a previous version. So head on over to smilesoftware.com MPU to learn more about Text Expander. And thanks to Smile for their continued support of the show. I just have one question. Does your onboarding email, does it say how many times you check email? It, you know, it doesn't because I thought that might be rude. <laughs> okay. Hey, before we get into what the future of this stuff is, I, I want to talk a little bit more about apps because one of the things that I find a little fascinating about all this is the existence of passive applications. I mean, we've always had apps that do things on us, but with a TV, there's certain apps out there that allow you just to have things happen and, you know, kind of like screensavers, the traditional screensavers and the Apple screensaver built in is, I think, kind of amazing. It's very high definition. I don't know if it was done with a drone or a helicopter, but they shoot these aerial shots over, you know, landmarks and cities and they are just completely gorgeous and I, I love them. Uh, but there's some others too. There's an application called Art Channel, which is a um, which is an offshoot of Art Authority, which is one of my favorite apps on the iPad, which has just a ton of artwork that you can look at, and they display it on your TV, and they can give information or just make it look like a big picture frame. And the one that I have the best three dollars I've spent since I bought the Apple TV is this app called Earth Lapse. And it's taken from the International Space Station. It's super high definition video shot down at the planet as they're as they are um, 
you know, circling the earth and you can have it play space sounds or you can have it just be silent, which is what I've done. And then I play music in the background. Like if you put the Holst planets on, I was working in the house in a dark night the other day, had the planets by Holst, the earth laps showing me as I was in the space station. And I felt like I was literally working in the space station. It made me so happy. What kind of music did you have? Do you have like the Star Wars? The John oh, I said, Williams? I said yeah, the, that what, the, planets the planets by yeah. Gustav, the planets by Gustav Holst. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter. You can play jazz, whatever, whatever music floats your boat. But the, uh, but just to have a screensaver where you're looking down on the earth as you're going over it is pretty fun. It, it is. And then like, if you look in the app store, there's like a million fireplace apps. Yeah. <laughs> and know. you know, I was looking before we started the show. Unfortunately, I don't think that there's any way that we can direct link to Apple TV apps in the show notes yet. So I'll just go look yeah, it up. Yeah, people are just going to have to look but them up. Earth, Earth Laps is a good one. I'd recommend that one. And uh, in terms of utilities, um, I was making fun of PCALC earlier, but you got to give it to him for putting one out there. Net Newswire has a version out there, and I, I can't see myself doing either one of those things on the TV. Um, the one utility that I have purchased and used is a speed test has an app. Yeah, it's great for troubleshooting. Um, and now yeah, that, just checking your speed. Now that the Apple yeah. TV is 802.11ac, I've been thinking about maybe taking it off my wired network and using that port for something else. So I am, I'm going to do some testing uh, when I have some time off over the holidays and see, you know, what are the speeds wired versus not, and does it really make a difference? What I haven't seen yet, which and what I would really like is a good. Um, kind of um you know like panic has that application status board i would like a good status board app that shows me you know shows me my appointments maybe shows me um you know the weather and just like i could have it on tv is just as i'm walking around doing stuff uh i think i would like that i know that's kind of a geek thing but i would like to see someone make one of those and it hasn't happened yet i'm told one of the reasons why is that it's not as easy as it sounds because the apple tv application doesn't really include web control uh, web viewer control so you can't just access the internet as easily as you'd like to but i'm sure somebody's working on something that may be fun in that category so all right what is the what do you see you know i've I've talked a little bit about the apple tv from a cord cutters perspective and you know it's at this point it's not that compelling of a device it's it's not that much more compelling than the original apple tv because you know most of the content applications re- require that you have a cable provider login and you know unless you're going to subscribe to services like hulu netflix or or hbo um, you know, you're going to have limited access to content. And the the big news, at least for me this past week, is, you know, we did get word that there's a new Star Trek series coming in 2017. Yeah, you're going to subscribe for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The big news there is that it's it's going to be released exclusively um, through the CBS All Access app, which is their streaming service, which is kind of an interesting move. Um, I, I guess I can understand it. Are they, you know, it, it, it may not quite be a mainstream CBS primetime audience, unfortunately, for, for Star Trek. Maybe they didn't want to put it on the CW. I don't know. But um, but yeah, you know, for me, for a Star Trek, um, new Star Trek series, even if it is in the new J.J. Abrams fake alternate universe, then yeah, I'm probably going to spend six bucks a month to subscribe. It's not really clear to me how you feel about that, Katie. <laughs> no, <laughs> you just fix the damn timeline when you're done playing with it. I um, I think that's not going to happen. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel more um, bullish on it. I, I think it is a significant improvement. Maybe it's because I had the 2008 device and I went to the 2015. But 
I like, I think the interface is way better. I mean, I can tell there was a lot of work done on it. I think that the, um, that the ability to download apps is going to be great. And we're just a week into it. And I already have some apps that I like that never would have existed on the prior device. I, I think Siri is a natural progression and it is something I'm going to use all the time. I mean, I feel like this is, um, I think it's kind of a big deal for Apple TV and I think Apple TV needs to be a big deal for Apple because a lot of people consume content on their living room couch and Apple needs to be in the party for that. So uh, I don't know. I I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I do not regret the purchase at all. Yeah. And and I don't mean to sound negative. I I don't regret the purchase at all either. In fact, I'm thinking about buying a second one mainly for the Plex app to put in my bedroom um, and and get rid of that second generation Apple TV in my bedroom. And then I'm just going to kind of keep one of those old ones kind of for conferences and things like that. But I, I think the future of this device, you know, as, as Tim Cook says, is the future of TV is apps. I think the future of this device is app support. I mean, how on board are the content makers going to get with app support? Are they going to allow some kind of deal to be had that this content can be sold through apps as opposed to through the more traditional methods? Yeah, and and part of the question is, we don't know Apple's plans. Is this going to be something where they release it and it sits stagnant for four years until we get the next iteration? Or is this something they're going to aggressively pursue? I mean, I could see them, I could see them sitting on it for four years, but I could also see them coming out with every year or two years with a new version that's got updated processors and more speed and giving it more power to do things like 4K is one of the issues. Everybody's talking about 4K. You know, there's a lot of the new TVs are 4K and this doesn't support it. Well, maybe in a couple of years we get one that does that. Um, 3D is another issue. Are they going to iterate on the remote? I mean, or are they happy with it? Because I think one thing we both agree on is that there's ways the remote could be better. Um, So I think all of that remains to be seen. And I think that's going to have an effect as well as to how successful the product is and how much app developers want to get in there. Uh, I don't know how much money app developers are making on it either. That's a, that's a question that is still kind of up in the air. So there's a lot of things going on, but I, I'm really glad that they finally did this. I'm glad they didn't wait any longer because if that, you know, content deal I was talking about earlier was the gating issue, if that was what was holding them up and they decided to wait another year, um, they would have looked pretty bad in my opinion. So it sounds like you're pretty bullish on it. Yeah, I am. I mean, like you're saying, you're thinking about buying a second one. I, I think, you know, I'm going to have my 2008 Apple TV in the bedroom and I think I'll probably be okay. Cause I don't watch that much TV in the bedroom, but the, um, but I, I think I'm really going to miss a lot of the features with the fancy one that's downstairs. And I probably, maybe when they come out with the next one, if it's in a year or two, I'll probably buy that and then, you know, demote the one downstairs to upstairs. But I, I like it. I'm glad they did it. And um, I'm a lot more happier that, with it than I'm disappointed. Yeah, I agree. And we'll see what the future holds for it. I'm, I am optimistic. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I'm optimistic at this point. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let us know what you think about your Apple TV and where this is all going. Uh, send in an audio comment for the live show or send us an email or just send us a comment on Twitter. Where can you find us on Twitter, Katie Floyd? Well, the show is Mac Power Users on Twitter. I'm Katie Floyd and David is Mac Sparky on Twitter. And if you want to send us that audio comment, you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. I want to thank our sponsors for today, Braintree, Braintree Inquisitive Software with their 
a fancy new text editor coming out any day now, Automatic and Smile. And thanks, everybody. Thanks for a great meetup, I'm sure. And uh, we will see you all next time.